0: Welcome to Acute Conversations, the official podcast of APTA Acute Care, where we share engaging conversations about acute care physical therapy so you can connect to your profession. I'm Ashley.
1: And I'm Leo. Today we chat with Noel Sublet and Katie Yaya. They're the co-chairs of the new Rehab Clinical Educators Focus Group for APTA Acute Care. We discuss their roles as clinical educators, how to get involved in the focus group, and their secret. Let's welcome our guest. All right, awesome. So welcome Katie and Noelle, the co-chairs of the new Rehab Clinical Educators Group. Katie and Noel, welcome to the podcast.
2: Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, we're excited you're here.
0: So I think what we would love to hear from both of you first is I think hearing a little bit about what you do on a daily basis is probably important and applicable to your focus group. So Can each of you maybe share a little bit about your role and where you work and what you do? Katie, how about you first?
2: Yeah. So my name is Katie Yaya. I'm a physical therapist and I'm actually an assistant professor at Regis University in Denver, Colorado. Before I held this role, which I've been for a year, I was the department educator at St. Joseph Hospital in Denver, Colorado. Primarily my focus was in the ICU, but I did a ton of mentoring of new staff and new graduates, all disciplines in the inpatient and outpatient setting. And so that's what drew me to this group, because I really feel like my role was so important in the acute setting. And now I have a little more time to devote to like studying it and supporting other educators.
0: Great, great. How about you, Noel?
3: I'm Noel Sublin. I'm a physical therapist for 25 years now. I work at Spartanburg Medical Center in Spartanburg, South Carolina. And my title is the rehab education coordinator. I've been in this role for about a year and a half after advocating for a role like this to exist for about 20 years. So I'm super that's a alive. long time to yeah. be advocating. <laughs> yeah,
0: passionate.
3: two different hospital systems. So when I first started working in acute care, The nurses had an educator on each unit. And I thought that would be a great thing for rehab to have as well. And uh, it took me a while to convince all the required people to turn it into a real job, but uh, here it is. So my job consists a lot of orientation of new hires. I train people on Epic, our electronic health record. And then I also do some coordination of continuing education courses and then just general education. So if the area is having difficulty with billing, then I help the managers create education on billing. In our department, our rehab manager is over acute care, outpatient, as well as athletic trainers. And so Mm -hmm. I work with our managers for all those areas to support them in whatever kind of educational needs they have for their teams. So I can imagine
0: in these roles that Each of you probably have very different tasks that you're responsible for because strangely enough, I actually used to have this role in my help system as well. And I know I did like all the onboarding, all the trainings, things like that. But I didn't organize continuing ed courses, for example. I I didn't organize education on electronic documentation or billing. So in your experience thus far, like I guess, what are the big differences and similarities you see between these roles at different hospitals and health systems?
3: I think one of the big differences is who you report to, and that helps drive what your job is. So one of our members of the focus group reports up through nursing, and so she's more grouped with the nursing educators. And so her focus is a little bit more education and a little bit more broad, whereas another one of the members of our focus group, she is just over acute care PT and then OT and speech. Honestly, we don't even know what they do in her organization. So it really depends on who you report to and how it's set up. But you're right, every location is just a little bit different. But I think the thing that ties us all together is that we're passionate about acute care and we're passionate about education. Yeah. And I really see it, you know, a theme
2: that I see that's common between a lot of our members is that, you know, there's no formal training for what they're doing. They, they either created the role or it was kind of thrust upon them in some form or fashion because they demonstrated leadership skills in mentoring or onboarding or just elevating the profession in that way, which I love. I feel like I love when it happens both through advocacy and organic leadership development. So that's something that I see as a
1: commonality. So Katie, you know, what I wanted to ask is that before you had this official rule, I feel like things were just kind of done voluntarily, right? Like there was no specific like guidelines or it's just like, hey, this person's been working here the longest. You help onboard the new students. And like maybe, I don't know who's going to set up the continuing education. It's all over the place. So can you tell me the before and after? Because obviously there was a problem. Both of you saw this and said, okay, we need to fix this. And I always think this is interesting to actually make things happen, to make changes. What were the steps and what does it look like after now that you've implemented this clinical educator role? We have Because yeah, I'm role.
0: sure there's people out there listening, Leo, that are like, oh, that's cool. I want to do yeah. that
1: at my health system. Yeah. Cool. They yeah. Similar problems. Yeah.
0: So
2: in my case, I came into like I we already had an educator, which is amazing. You know, that was great. I didn't have to advocate for the role, but I definitely took on that interprofessional work with nursing educators and like unit-based educating staff, meeting with them and realizing like all the parts of their job that was like a full-time educator job versus like a 0.25 FTE education and 0.75 of clinical work helped me advocate for more time to do that educator role because it wasn't as elevated previously and that i really feel like that interprofessional work with nursing was really helpful to me to recognize how how important it was and i think we've all recognized that appropriate onboarding and support of new staff and new grads leads to improved retention so that type of thing speaks to hospital leadership just from a cost saving standpoint so
0: you probably improve patient outcomes too, right? Like you train people better, you educate people better, patients benefit. It's well, not rocket yeah. science, right? Like
2: working at the top of your scope. Like one of the yes. things implemented was a suctioning competency. Mm. And that was, I mean, we were sort of, you know, some people were sort of doing it. And then finally it became more formalized through this process that followed very much a nursing educator. Here's the competency. Who's the, you know, the expert? person who's going to train everyone and then train the trainer and all those kind of things. So that's that's kind of how my role evolved. And I know Noelle will be able to tell you about the, you know, the before and after. Yeah, Noelle, how did you
3: convince them finally? I think I just wore my director down. (laughs) (laughs) I'm pretty sure she got to the point of she didn't want to hear about it anymore. And then next thing I knew, she said, hey, guess what? We have this educator position. But I advocated a lot after talking with people. So Leanne Pancake is one of the educators that I encountered through the acute care listserv. She had her signature line and and I was like, oh, this job description of an educator. So I reached out to her years ago and and picked her brain a little bit about how that worked. And another woman named Diane in Texas. And so I, you know, broached the subject with my director of we can save a whole lot of time and energy. So in our rehab department, we have 10 managers. And if you have 10 managers that each have a new hire in orientation that week, then you have 10 managers that are getting new paperwork signed and going through the standards of behavior and talking about where to park. And, you know, you don't need 10 people to do that. So if one person is doing that, then you're saving time, money, energy, and you're sending a consistent message. So we start there and, uh, you know, of course, the one of the first questions is, what would this person do besides just orientation? And we brainstormed a little bit and our our management team talked a little bit about what might this look like and how can it support the managers and the staff? And it kind of grew. And even since I've been in this role, things have changed a little bit. But one of my other big areas is competencies. And uh, if you have any Draw to competencies, then you know that a lot of people do education and call it a competency. And I'm a very big advocate for not doing education and calling it a competency. So, working with our managers on ways to select activities for competencies that are impactful to their teams and not just going through the motion, not just checking the box, and not just the same thing year after year.
0: So, I'm curious, like, it sounds like you found somebody through the listserv. And isn't that listserv amazing? By the way, listeners, if you have not signed up for the Acute Care Listserv, you should. It's a wealth of information and you can ask any question you want and connect with people. But how did you all find each other and then decide, hey, let's start this group? Can you tell us about that? It
3: was through the Listserv.
0: (laughs) How about that?
3: Yeah. And so it was about two years ago. Somebody just posted a random question about, do you have an educator in your department? And. You know, somebody responded, yes, we do. And we can talk more. And then next thing you knew, like 60 people had replied and said, include me, include me, include me.
0: Wow.
3: Yeah. It was a lot of people that showed an interest. And so shout out to Ann Moore for organizing the first meeting of a smaller group of people just to kind of get the ball rolling. And Tracy Norris sat in to give some guidance and, and help find out, you know, where this discussion was heading. And she's the one who suggested that we might want to create a focus group. And so there were a handful of people that, that were in these conversations. And so Katie and I said, maybe we could be the co-chairs of this focus group and nobody opposed us. (laughs) And so, uh, so we created the focus group just about a year ago, maybe not even quite a year ago. So, how often do you all
0: meet and what's on the agenda at these meetings? What do you do? What do you talk about?
2: So, we have met in person one time at CSM. We had a like a hard to find room over in, in like whatever that the Marriott or whatever that was. And so during that meeting, it's really about networking and connecting because something that we found, again, we kind of talked about this at the beginning, just like everybody's role is a little bit different in terms of whether, you know, whether they have it, that's uh, whether it exists in their hospital, but then also how it's structured in their department and how much time is devoted in their schedule to this role. So, you know, kind of twofold. One, finding those people that, are similar to you, to your role so that you can connect about think commonalities but then also finding people who who you would like your role to be more like so in our meeting at CSM we went around and disc- everyone shared their name and where they worked and kind of why they were there and again it was a, a mix of people who wanted to be an educator who had an educator role but you know, wanted to grow it. So that's really what we're about immediately. And then, Noel, do you want to add a little bit? Sure.
3: So we actually had the opportunity to present a webinar last mm-hmm. fall. Mm-hmm. So there were five of us from the group that presented a webinar, which is recorded and linked on our page on Academy's website. So you can go to our focus group page and and get to the webinar and we just talked about kind of how it got started in each of our different locations and what our roles are and just trying to give people a little bit of an idea of how they might be able to get it started in their own organization.
1: I think, that? Was, I, was, I, think I was the moderator for that webinar. You were.
3: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> Small worm.
3: We have our own listserv. So in addition to the acute care listserv, then you can join our clinical educators listserv. And then the conversation tends to be a little bit more about competencies, I think, and what people are doing in their jobs. I think most of the people on there are already in this role. It's kind of the feeling that I've gotten. I haven't met everybody on there, but we're up to 64 members. So that's exciting to get that. Wow. Report. You know, day after day, week after week, I get a notification that somebody new has joined. So so that's exciting. That's incredible. Kudos to you all for starting this. Thank you. It's been
1: really exciting. Now, Katie, you had mentioned something earlier about FTEs. Now, if you worked as in management, right? If you've supervised therapists, all right, or clinicians, you understand it. But for maybe some of our newer grads, or maybe some people that have been out for a little bit, because I also feel like sometimes this just falls onto people's plates and say, "Can you just help out and help onboard the mm-hmm. new huh? mm-hmm. descriptions?" Just you know, we as therapists, I want to help out. So I think that was a mm-hmm. thing on that webinar. Like, how did you create this as an actual true position? So can you talk a little bit about what FTE actually means? Yes,
2: you- yes. Okay. And I won't be able to give you, like, the full HR explanation, but it means full-time equivalence.
4: Okay.
2: Yeah. Like, I when I did my job, I I worked nine shifts. So I was a 0.9 FTE, or nine shifts in a two-week period. So I was a 0.9 FTE, and I had two shifts that I worked. That were considered a part of the educator role. So every Wednesday I would work a full eight hours. So that was like 0.2 FTE of my schedule was dedicated to the educator role formally. And then, like you said, Leo, there's definitely some bleed. So that's something that you could, you know, if you're developing this role, you could kind of monitor your time just to say, like, oh, it took me four hours to teach this person how to use Epic. That's how long this took. And kind of having some idea of kind of your hourly equivalent of what your job does can be helpful to say like, look, someone's doing this for four, two people are doing the same thing for the same amount of time. Like Noel was describing 10 managers, taking one whole shift, to train 10 different people when it could actually be one person training all those 10 people on one task. So. You know, good to understand in general kind of how your your work workday is scheduled if you're an hourly employee, which is often equated into a full-time equivalent.
4: And now a quick announcement from APTA Acute Care. Do you know someone that is making a difference within acute care physical therapy? Please check out our awards page. We would like to recognize and illuminate the practice of more deserving colleagues and celebrate the great services they provide. To honor their various contributions, APT Acute Care has five awards. The Mary Sinnott Award for Clinical Excellence in Acute Care, the James Dunleavy Distinguished Service Award, the Judy Euler Fellowship Award, the Lecture Award, and the Katherine Harris Educator Award. These awards are the highest honor APT Acute Care can bestow in recognition of excellence and are awarded at CSM annually during the membership meeting. APTIQ Care members and in some instances non-members are encouraged to nominate deserving individuals for these awards. To view the nomination forms and descriptions of award criteria and supporting documentation, visit the links below. Nominations are accepted until October 30th, 2023. And now, back to the show.
0: So if you were going to do another webinar, I'm curious, what would you want listeners to know about your group and about this position in general?
3: It's hard for me to not land on competencies (laughs) because that's uh, more
0: about that. Like, give us examples, maybe that would be helpful.
3: So one of the things, what we're doing this year at our organization, we have five acute care campuses in our system. And so I'm working with the managers from those campuses, and we are actually incorporating safe patient handling equipment, oxygen delivery devices, and line strains and airways. And so Mm -hmm. we're doing all of that into a hands-on competency where people are demonstrating use of the safe patient handling equipment in a more realistic environment, you know, considering that the patient has devices attached to them and not just, you know, your coworker that gets in the lift. And so that's a way to evaluate their knowledge and skill in multiple areas at once, as opposed to just doing a computer-based learning module and taking a test.
0: Simulation goes beyond the classroom,
3: clearly.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, I, I love that idea of simulation
2: as well, like going beyond the classroom and using, whether that's us being a part of training for nurses as well. And I think actually that's a an area for growth in educator roles from a therapy standpoint are being a part of the interdisciplinary education, mm. like not having, or I mean, nurses can certainly train other nurses on safe patient handling equipment, but that's an area of expertise that we have. But then also partnering with like respiratory therapy and other disciplines to maximize our training. because. I know right before I left St. Joseph's, we got like this suction simulator so that it like it provided feedback if you suction too deep. And then it was like different colors of suctioning, which wouldn't have been something that our department would have purchased just for our training. But it was something that we had for nursing and RT to do training. So that was building bridges between those different departments to say, like, this is how you can maximize the training for your smaller department using, leveraging the resources of a, the larger nursing training budget.
1: Yeah. You bring up a lot of stuff regarding nursing. I feel that I've, I've known a handful of nurse educators, and it's great to see how the things that are researched and it's reinforced in the literature what does well in nursing, it kind of flows over to us in rehab, especially in acute care. However, we're not the same. So can you tell maybe about a little bit of the differences? You mentioned the interdisciplinary roles. But you also mentioned a couple other things that how, like, how are we different in terms of these competencies for a QK therapist versus what nursing does on their end?
2: Yeah. So when I think about, like, when I think about the, like, the suctioning competency specifically, like, I guess just the, the goals of the treatment are different when it comes to, like, nursing or RT completing that task. Whereas for me, it's a safe, like, it's a safety issue. You know, if I get someone up, I can mobilize secretions and I might need immediate intervention to avoid some sort of blockage to a trait. So I just want to be able to manage those kind of like hop high, like high acuity, low, there's a word for low, it, low frequency, like, high level. frequency <laughs> incidences. Yeah. So that's really what I'm focusing on. And so it's typically a lot shorter, the competency that would be written for me to do suctioning or our department versus an
0: respiratory therapist so if that makes sense absolutely yes i i just had i had a question but i also want to spin off to something else but you know i was thinking about like i'm sure with every job there's pros and cons like things you're mm-hmm. like this is the part i love about this job and this is the part that i'm kind of like eh, hum. these are sure. these are challenges and barriers so i'd love to hear about those mm-hmm. But I also had this kind of like idealistic view as you were talking about this, about how cool would it be like in a hospital if there were like an educator group, like its own little group, right? And so like within that, you have like your PT, your nurse, your OT, like whatever other disciplines, respiratory therapy and like respiratory therapy could help teach the PT group about vents. And, you know, we could teach them about mobility and transfers and fall prevention and like How cool would that be? But anyway, I would love to hear about pros and cons of this job.
2: Okay, so I would say pros for me, one, it allows me to practice at the top of my scope and make sure that I'm pushing the envelope in a positive way. Like I'm not just a person who, you know, just comes up and walks people. I'm going to have a really strong discussion about the benefits of mobility and how I can serve the team and reach the patient's functional goals. And also, you know, and not be held back by like not knowing how to do use a piece of equipment or something along those lines. And I also feel like that feeds my ability to, you know, in a in a system like a healthcare system that can feel like you can't do a lot to change things. It allows me to have some agency in the place that I'm at. Like, I don't want to manage people like I don't want to be the manager of the people in our department. I don't want to have to like like you didn't punch in like you you didn't show up on time like that doesn't fill me up but it does fill me up to like elevate everyone's skills in the department and then again you said this Ashley where you know that of course improves patient care that makes all of us look better and be better if I'm helping you get there
0: so I'll let know it like it's her, a different a different kind of leadership of role department. within your department right yes Not yes your,
3: yeah Yeah, I have to agree with Katie. I That's one thing. I was a manager for several years and I enjoyed it. But there does come a point in time where you're tired of saying, did you clock in and did you do your health stream (laughs) module and things like that? And, And I always tried to elevate our practice and get people to buy into the ideas of, you know, why it's important to do, you know to write better notes, why it's important to incorporate certain things into our treatments, that sort of thing. And, and being in this role, I feel like I have that influence in a positive way of helping people to see maybe a new way of doing things or something they hadn't thought of before. And, and I have my leadership role in that way. And then our organization has nurse educators are in all one group at two of the campuses. And then they, one of our smaller campuses just has two educators, so. I work with them a lot on training new hires in just mobility and work closely with the Safe Patient Handling Coordinator who I share an office with. So I hear about Safe Patient Handling equipment all day, every day, <laughs> and then I help pass that on. And And so being able to help people see the benefits of mobility, especially in the acute care environment, and when that reaches out to the nurses and to Respiratory and to other areas about how important that is. That's one of the things that I love about this job. You
1: know, hearing about your roles, I'm thinking there are definitely people in our audience that would love to kind of take on that responsibility at their specific like, everyday. But the other thing that I too is as a new grad, have you had any positive kind of feedback from grads? Because just hearing about what you do in terms of competencies. Like, oh, I wish I had some <laughs> clinical rehab education. When I started working as, as a novice clinician, because before it was just like, just going to the ER and then you go in maybe with somebody that's been at more experience with the ER and it's just like, right right, we're going to learn how to suction. Maybe we had, I had some exposure to the nursing educators, but in your experience, how, you know, I, I feel like this is such a great selling point to let new grads know that we actually have people here that can help support you. And, and I, I love what you keep mentioning top of your scope, because that's a little shout out to one of our previous episode guests. Rebecca Griffith about, again, practicing the top of your scopes. Can you maybe talk a little bit about that, about how it affects your new grads and supports that?
2: Yeah, I mean, I can't speak with data. Like, I would love to be able to speak with, like, data behind it. Like, that is, you know, long-term goals of being able to say, like, oh, if you have this, then, like, retention, et cetera, has, like, an actual, like, numerical impact. But I do encourage my students, you know, I feel like we talk a lot about like, oh, we have mentorship, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, ask more specific questions what that looks like in your department because it is very different in the places that I have worked. Like I didn't understand at a previous place of work why people were like, orientation is there's no orientation here. I was, well, this is just how it's always been. And then I started this new job and I was like, oh, because this is what other places get. It was like, you know, four weeks of mentored experience. And I was like, Well, I don't need this because I've been doing this for a long time already, but I still felt very supported. So I saw that juxtaposition between kind of a throw into the deep end, which I did fine with, I felt like, but also I could see where. So asking those specific questions, I think is really important for new graduates to ask. Tell me about what mentorship looks like in your department, not just, oh, we have it. Tell me about it. Agreed.
1: That's great. That's great a great advice. question.
3: Noelle, do you have anything to add to that? Sure. One of the things that I've worked on with the acute care managers in particular is the orientation competencies. So we have our pathway, you know, checking off, you know, do you know where to put your lunch and, and how to clock in and things like that? But then what about the skills? So obviously you graduated from PT school and you passed your licensure exam. And so you have knowledge but you don't necessarily have knowledge in our location. And so you need to know how to apply your knowledge into our location. So how does this particular floor like to run things? Who do you talk to about discharge planning? And who's going to go with you the first time you go in the ICU or the first time you go in the ER? And just covering all of those different areas, not only the scheduling of patients, because everybody has a different scheduling system. And so you have to learn how your organization's going to do that so that you can be successful and contribute to it, and then also potentially provide feedback on a better way to do it, right? We want people's feedback on improving efficiency, improving processes, and if you don't know how we do it, then you can't provide that feedback. So our process here for orientation competencies is pairing you with another therapist who helps you with how do all those skills you know apply in our organization.
0: It sounds like you all are a bit of a, what I call a connector. You probably are like really, it's probably really nice for, for new hires and people that have been there for a while to kind of have like, like go-to person to con- like, we, you can connect them with this or this or this should they need it, which is kind of nice. I'm going to, I'm going to, before we go to rapid responses, I'm going to give you both a challenge. Okay. Are you ready for it? So I'm sure Katie, in your role, you have to do some scholarship, Right. And you have Noelle in the clinic, who's still in this role. And you have this amazing group of rehab educators. And you say you'd love to have that data. So I would challenge you all maybe to collaborate on a research project around this and get this information out there for other people to be able to take to their managers and say, look, here's the evidence that shows our position is of benefit.
2: Yes, yes. No, we've, I mean, not like officially or anything along those lines, but we have been like gathering information to kind of connect each other of just, yeah, tell us what your FTE is for your, yeah. like how much do you work and then like give us some general job descriptions to kind of get that qualitative data of saying, well, 90% of people do this and only 10% of people do this yeah. task. And so.
0: get got like a built-in we're subject starting. right there. Uh, right, no, 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 we're starting.
1: That's great. All
0: right, Leo are you ready to explain rapid response to them?
1: All right. So again, if you haven't seen our, uh, the previous episode, well, the way rapid response works is that we'll have, how long is our time, Ashley? We is we're doing a minute? We're
0: doing two minutes since there's two of them.
1: All right. So two minutes, Ashley and I have a bank of questions and some that we just kind of ad lib or make up. Okay. Yeah. What you're going to do is you just the first thing that pops up to your head, you just yell it out and just let us know. The first thing that comes to your head, the first answer that comes up and we'll you know, try to do it as quickly as possible because it's, it's rapid. Just like an Oscar. <laughs> You respond. Okay,
0: so, why don't we have Noelle? You answer first, then Katie, so we can keep a nice little system going. Okay. Leo, you want to start
1: with the first question? for the first question. All right. Ready and go. All right. Favorite way to exercise? Running. Walking around the lake near my house.
0: All right. Are you a morning person or a night owl? Night owl. Morning person.
1: Your favorite vacation spot? The
0: beach. Steamboat Springs, Colorado. Awesome. What is your favorite book? The Nightingale, Kristen. Mm-hmm. Me- the yep.
2: Poisonwood Bible by Barbara Kingsolver.
0: Oh, I've, seen, I've read both of those.
1: What is on your workout playlist, music-wise?
3: I usually just turn on Sirius XM and whatever plays, it plays. Mm-hmm. Yes, whatever the Peloton instructor <laughs> is playing. <laughs> awesome.
0: What's your secret talent? Ooh,
3: I can tie a teary stem in a knot with my tongue. (laughs) Love it. I'm a really good softball pitcher.
1: Mm -hmm. Awesome. If you went to a PT, what type of job or profession would you be in?
3: That's a difficult one. I thought about several things before going into PT, but right now I would probably be making spreadsheets. Okay.
2: <laughs> I feel like I would have been a PA.
0: Oh, nice. What other podcasts would you recommend to our listeners if you listen to podcasts?
3: I'm not a big podcast listener, but there is one I really enjoyed from The Art of Manliness, and it's about small talk.
1: Hmm.
2: For podcasts work related i like to listen to walking home from the icu Mm -hmm. but sometimes that's like a little too much like you're like all day and then you're listening on the way home so like armchair expert is always a fun one to light Mm -hmm. topics
1: if someone was going to play you in a movie who would that character who would that famous actress be i would love for it to be julia roberts all right
0: i would love for it to be jennifer lawrence all right. Oh, those are both good ones. All right. Our time is up. So the final question, you know, you work in acute care when
3: fill in the blank. You can talk about gross things like open wounds at the dinner table and <laughs> not get grossed out. Yep. That, that
2: was, we had almost the exact same answer on the chat forums. I second that.
0: That's awesome. Well, thank you all for participating in that. We got through a lot of questions with two of you. That was nice. Yeah, good. Thank well, you. Our listeners want to find you. Where can they find you?
3: Oh, they should um, join the listserv
2: for sure. Yes. So,
3: yes, three lab clinical educators listserv. And mm-hmm. then I think my, our email addresses are on that page, which might be the best way to contact us is through our emails.
1: We will include that in the show notes through emails, definitely.
2: Perfect. Yes, please reach out, join the listserv. We would love to connect with you. We just want to make PT better.
1: Is, is the title of the list or for the specific group? Just the rehab clinical educators group.
2: Great question. I can you know what I can share it with you, and if you can put it in the show notes, that would be great. We can do yeah. that. Because I'm like it's a long name, and I <laughs> like, off the top of my head.
0: Well, thank you both for joining us today. We really appreciate it. You're very welcome. Thank you for having thank us. You for- Hi.
4: We would like to thank Noelle and Katie for joining us today. Acute Conversations is the official podcast of APT Acute Care. It is hosted by Leo Argulus and Ashley Poole. Executive produced by Katie Brito and Edward Mathis. Music by Alexia Action from Pixabay. For more information about APT Acute Care, please go to our website, aptacutecare.org. And be sure to check out our show notes for links and resources from the Academy. If you found value from our podcast, please be sure to subscribe, follow, and share with your friends and colleagues. Join us in two weeks for a conversation with new graduates Brett Baird and Tito Castillo as they talk about their acute care clinical experiences as students. Thank you for listening, and may your shoes and scrubs stay clean today. What do you call-
1: what do you call an old apple? What? Granny Smith. Okay, that's a good one. Come on.